0: have one remaining with the individual and he's not going to let her leave the aircraft at this time he made me feel very sure that uh, we had a very real and
1: horrifying threat we don't know who he was where he came from or where he went yeah it's it's actually really very intriguing and the the thing is that on first blush when you read the headline and so forth it's easy to sort of get wrapped up in this whole thing about richard floyd mccoy the son dan grider the fbi all that kind of stuff but the important part of the article really relates to what is going on behind the scenes here and i can speak to some of it and some of it was expressed in the article The important thing to understand here, basically, right out of the gate, is the FBI tested the tie. They retested the tie, and in all likelihood, it was the spindle that they retested. And they have a DNA profile, and it's that DNA profile that they have that they're working with, uh, presumably to go back and revisit all of the suspects, the seven or eight suspects, Uh, that they looked at in the initial DNA initiative, which took place in 2004. Now, for those who don't know, what happened is the FBI actually procured a DNA sample from the tie in 2001. Partial DNA profile, obviously antiquated DNA testing. And then a few years later, they put together a DNA initiative. They identified a handful, I'm talking single digits, kind of handful of suspects, people of interest. Richard Floyd McCoy was one of them. Sheridan Peterson was another, and there were others as well. Now, what we've got going on here basically is 2.0. And uh, so that's that's really the big news as far as it's concerned, because for all intents and purposes, the FBI has quietly reopened the case. Now, I'm not saying it's the same level as it was before. You know, they're going to start entertaining suspects from all over the place as we all kind of do as people reach out to us. I think it's a little, it's much more um, uh, uh, compartmentalized uh, relative to that. And again, I think they've got a few specific suspects in particular that part of the original DNA thing that they're looking at, but uh, that's the big news here. And this thing, uh, this thing was basically started by the lawsuit, the lawsuit that I filed in in, uh, March of uh, 2023. The lawsuit was filed March 8th of 2023. Uh, it was August, about five months after the lawsuit was filed, that the FBI approached Richard um, uh, Floyd McCoy's son uh, for the purpose of gaining a, a DNA from him. Uh, and, and obviously, it's been six months since then, and we haven't heard anything from the FBI. So I think that kind of speaks to the fact that there is... There's nothing there. There's no comparison as far as that goes. So I believe what happened here is that the uh, uh, just a little bit of background and I'll let you guys talk. I won't monopolize here. But after I filed the lawsuit, there was, of course, some back and forth, a little bit of back and forth between the government and me. And there was one moment in particular, and I can't remember exactly when this was, but this was relatively early on, probably May, something like that of 2023. When the uh, government and when I say the government, I mean the FBI and the Department of Justice. Basically, they had to respond to something related to my lawsuit. And the judge, of course, gave them a a time frame. They had to have it in by a certain time. The government attorney uh, reached out to me and said that uh, and asked me if if I wouldn't mind giving them an additional week, as I recall, to uh, to submit the documentation and she told me that you know she's got a, a heavy workload an additional week would be helpful uh, of course i i said sure absolutely no problem with that at all i mean i don't i've never considered them adversaries it was just you know i wanted something and they and they weren't giving up access to it so uh and of course the judge uh ended up granting additional time now at the time that this happened i kind of was speculating i was thinking for a number of reasons as i was looking at it in totality that something's going on here something's up i thought that it may be a situation whereby the fbi reached out to me and said listen let's we'll go ahead and just give you access to the to the spindle that you want and then we'll just kind of be done with this thing uh that didn't end up happening the government ended up filing the 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 brief that they filed within the appropriate amount of time and of course in December the the judge ruled in favor of the FBI so I ended up losing that as far as that goes so I believe that what ended up what was going on there is I believe there were some conversations taking place at that time about what I was talking about with respect to the spindle because that's part of what was so frustrating to me is why the hell are these people uh, not only not testing themselves but not giving, you know, my DNA specialist access to it. This this literally could solve the case. You know, very famously CNN Jake Tapper looking straight in the camera addressing director Ray and saying why not if you guys aren't doing anything with it, why not give Eric and his does people access. Well, the operative two words was why not, <laughs> you know, why not right. if you're not doing anything with it? So it appears that that's what happened is the FBI at that point decided to quietly go ahead and test it themselves. They obviously managed to get something uh, tantamount to some sort of profile. Once they knew they had that, they reached out to McCoy's son. they're not going to reach out to him in advance and ask for a DNA profile from him. Uh, and then, you know again this is all going on behind the scenes and quietly and then and then the rest is history like i said it's been six months so i think that speaks to the fact that uh at that point you know august they're just simply comparing data they're looking at numbers on a piece of paper basically so i think that speaks to the fact that there was no match with mccoy for that matter or anybody else that the FBI happened to look at so that's what's going on and and some of this like the mccoy story about the dna and everything that's that's been verified there are backup there are sources private sources that have confirmed that. I believe I know who the source is. And uh, so there's a lot of stuff going on just because we haven't heard about it. Uh, doesn't mean it hasn't been going on obviously. And I think the, the really important thing about this here is that uh, it explains once and for all what the hell the problem, why, why this aggressive pushback on the lawsuit that I found it just didn't make sense to me And then the other thing that's really encouraging about this is that the FBI obviously is pursuing this. They've got something to work with there. They're obviously not going to say much about it at this point, but they have something to work with. So I don't think it's a matter of, you know, like I said, to to kind of come full circle here. I don't think it's a matter of people can just submit names to the FBI and they're going to start. You know, running DNA analysis on you know everybody and and uh, you know their their aunt and uncle and everything. <laughs> I think it's a very limited, uh, very limited DNA 2.0 yeah. type of thing. In fact, it may only be limited to those original seven or eight guys, and that's it. So that that's that's basically that's that's the really big huge news here. That basically the FBI has been prodded to reopen the case at least in a limited fashion as far as this goes and work with what is presumably something uh uh, of a better profile from the tie um procured in 23.
0: yeah um can can y'all hear me okay yeah good yes yeah so the uh basically the dna that they are getting is it's kind of over my head but it's my understanding it's something called str is what they have and you can't do forensic genealogy with S- with just STR DNA. So like you said Eric, all all they can do is compare and eliminate essentially. They can't we can't use it. For example, they can't give that to uh the Doe project or whatever and they go on ancestry.com or whatever. It's not that type of DNA that they've got yet. Um so what they're what they're working that takes a specialist. For some reason I believe that um that, that, that that's a different type of Lab than the FBI crime lab has. I think I think they just have a comparative. It's it's like it's over my head, but anyway, Nikki, what do you think about all this? Well,
2: so like my question is like so how how does this help us then if they're not if they're, if they're not willing to compare the DNA to anybody that's not on on the list and it, it's and if it's not any of those guys on the list, obviously they probably already compared it to everyone on the list by now. And if there was a hit, we probably would have maybe it hurts I mean that's my speculation so how does this really I understand it's a new development but how does it really help us if they're unwilling to uh, uh c- compare this DNA to anyone that's you know yeah. not on that list from the initial and basically
0: initiative. yeah the the list for those wondering um as far as I know in, in the FBI files make sure I've got this right it's Richard McCoy uh, this is the DNA that they have okay f- th- that's been released as far as we know and there's no, and there's no reason to think there's any um you know, this, isn't some, some, this, is, this is not a case where we have, you know, intrigue, where they're hiding things from the public, you know, what's in the FBI files is what it is, essentially. So we know that, they, that the DNA that they have is, is uh, Sheridan Peterson's, um, Dwayne Webber's, Kenny Christensen, Jason Langseth, LD Cooper, Wolfgang Gossett, and now Richard McCoy. And they also have some rogue idiot named uh, Arthur Durham, who's not really a true suspect, but they got his as well. But so, yeah, it's basically, like I said, again, I'll repeat Sheridan Peterson, Richard McCoy, Jason Langseth, Dwayne Weber, Kenny Christensen, Wolfgang Gossett and uh, L.D. Cooper, I think. Yeah. So that's it. So that's all they have. And, if, and you know, I suppose they can go get more DNA. But the problem is they're not working the case hard enough to know who to go get DNA from. You see?
1: Yeah, I'm going to I will actually. um uh... I will reach out to the FBI and uh, see if they're interested in, in getting some of the Vince Peterson DNA, uh, right. which they may or may not run with. You know, I mean, obviously there's a very specific reason related to the Tia, you know, titanium and antimony and all that that I've, you know, I'm particularly interested in Vince Peterson. But you know, obviously the FBI's methodology may be entirely different. They may pretty much just say you know, thanks but no thanks. Which is fair. That's fine, you know, as far as that goes. But, uh, you know, to answer your question, Nikki, we may just simply be limited to knowing that the seven guys that the uh, were part of the, the first DNA initiative uh, didn't match, were eliminated basically. But, you know, at the end of the day, they still, you know, have something apparently pretty decent to work with, which makes sense. And uh, so there is hope that, you know, officially speaking uh the the fbi may actually you know figure out who this guy is in some other way um but uh you know so that that's encouraging and i I also want to say this does not at all impact what tom k and i are doing as far as the filter is concerned as well it doesn't have any impact at all uh it's going to be a dual track kind of thing because obviously i don't know exactly what kind of parameters or what kind of guardrails the FBI has put up. So, uh, you know, they, again, they may not be interested in, in a Vince Peterson, whereas I am interested in a Vince Peterson. Uh, so, or a Milton Vordahl or anybody else for that matter. So uh, that's the reason that, uh, you know, Tom and I are gonna continue to pursue uh, our DNA stuff with the filter, which is uh, much more complicated than what, uh, you know, the FBI, obviously the FBI having the tie <laughs> right have to work with so right
2: and then that's and then that's also something that can be can be used to compare like the profile the fbi has can be used to compare if you end up getting something from the filter and if you get a match there that kind of only uh you know strengthens the case for that being cooper's dna um you know i just hope that the fbi will be open-minded to you know getting, you know, in, you know, like hearing, your, you know, what you have on Vince Peterson and like what I have in Verdahl and, you know, kind of be open to seeing and seeing if it's, you know, if they feel it's, if it's someone worth, you know, comparing the DNA to, you know, I just hope they're they're kind of open-minded and not like just completely closed off. No, we're not, you know, we're not taking any requests, you know? Well, yeah.
0: I've thought... already
2: been uh go,
1: go ahead, Ryan.
0: No, I was just going to say, yeah, I, I hope they're not closed off either Nikki, but you know, the problem is, when they do that, they open up the floodgates to, you know, who yeah. knows how many people I, I, I yeah. You know.
2: But yeah, again. I mean, the,
1: the thing is, is that obviously they've they're open minded enough to at least listen to what I had to say in the lawsuit, you know? So that's very encouraging. In fact, I, you know, when I talked with the reporter at the, uh, at the sun about this, uh, you know, I was asked that question and I said, you know, what's part of what's great about it is it validates, essentially validates what I've been talking about specifically related to the spindle. And I also think to a degree that the titanium and antimony, you know, uh, you know, there's a lot of white noise out there, people with all kinds of crazy theories and suspects and persons of interest and all that kind of shit. And the problem is that you have serious people. And I consider myself a serious investigator, especially when it comes to that tie and I'm like, you know, I'm trying to break through the white noise, but I'm just one of, you know, 5,000 people throwing crazy shit yep. at the FBI. So the fact that, you know, it, it appears that the lawsuit served as that instrument to kind of pierce that bubble and get somebody to actually pay attention there, that's actually wonderful. So hopefully... uh that buys me a little bit of street cred as far as saying, Hey, maybe you want to check out a Vince Peterson or a Milton Vordal or somebody like that, but I don't know, you know? Uh, but, uh, nonetheless, it's encouraging.
0: Yeah. It's exciting. I mean, it's, 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 I mean, at least they seem to care now, obviously the McCoy stuff. I mean, that's, you know, I mean, I was even, yeah, that's just, I don't know what to say about that. I mean, you know, I don't know how, I really don't know. It's funny that we talk about this DNA initiative, and let me give a little background for everybody. What happened was, in around the time when DNA became sort of vogue in the late '90s, the the case agent was a fellow named Ralph Hope. And Ralph Hope, what he wanted to do is he went through the first 500 suspects, and he went through all of them and determined which ones had been eliminated, which ones or ones that he felt should be eliminated or ones that are not. And he actually in the latest FBI file release, we actually have his, we have a sheet of 500 names, a bunch of, a bunch, several are still redacted, but he would mark by the names uh, why he felt they should be eliminated. He'd put, you know, photograph evidence, meaning like that the photograph had been shown to the stewardesses, and so that person shouldn't be that guy. Or he'd put, you know, uh, not enough evidence or doesn't match the description, a guy who's five, five or something, right? He would eliminate them. And he came to four people that he, well, really just three, um, three and then plus one. The three that he said, the three that you can tell he did not eliminate, but he had no marks by their name. He circled circled their names, where a guy named Jason Langseth, who actually was, Langseth was actually, by my determination, having gone through 40,000 of these files, was interviewed more than any other suspect. I mean, was investigated more than any other suspect in the case. Langseth actually lied to the FBI about where he was on the day of the hijacking, and they caught him lying about it. He said he was working in Colorado and they said, you're working in Colorado as a salesman. Let's see your sales papers. And he gave them his sales papers and they checked and all the names were made up. They were fictional businesses, fictional places. And so why would you lie to the FBI about where you were on November 24th, 1971? And he did and they caught him in a lie and he had no answer for it. And he was a skydiver of criminal repute essentially. So he was investigated a lot. He did offer his DNA up willingly though, in 2003, he was older. He died shortly thereafter. But anyway, he came. Uh, the, he did not eliminate Langseth. He did not. He did not eliminate a guy named Fred Catalano. Fred Catalano was a disgruntled purser who had trained as a 727 pilot and uh, couldn't get a job because he was an asshole, essentially. And and he had to become a flight attendant and ended up being a real tool. In fact, he was such a tool. He worked for TWA that they turned him in themselves to the FBI. They said, we have no idea where he was that week. So how big of a jerk are you that your own employer turns you into the FBI for being DB Cooper? And that was Fred Catalano. And Catalano's photo was shown and Robert Gregory, one of the witnesses said, looks a lot like him. Um, So he he was never eliminated. The other being Sheridan Peterson, um, and the reason he did not eliminate Sheridan Peterson is because you can see he wrote down. You can see his handwriting in the FBI files. He says never able to verify whereabouts, and I know Eric's done uh, enormous research on Sheridan and his whereabouts. You know are un- unclear. I guess um, yeah. you know very he says, suspect. Very yeah, suspect. Yeah, he says he was. In
1: pa- the- I've seen his passport and his visas, and there, there's holes there. There's problems. He's, sheridan peterson in my mind is an outstanding suspect person of interest but i just have a, a, a you know i have a problem with that tie that that seems to eliminate the guy but go ahead yeah, though, mean yeah
0: that's to. fine and so so we got Lang, Seth, catalano and uh sheridan peterson the ones that he did not eliminate then he put an asterisk by mccoy now I, there is more than enough to eliminate mccoy and they did eliminate mccoy if they had not eliminated mccoy there had been more investigation after 1972 but I'll repeat for everybody just the litany of things about McCoy. It's almost like a running joke at this point. All 10 witnesses saw photographs of McCoy, you know, months after Cooper hijacking and said, that's not the guy. McCoy was a notable figure. He was on TV, video footage of him walking around and uh, being perp walked all the time. I mean, he was a notable guy and and all 10 said it wasn't him. McCoy had a lisp. He had a Southern accent like I did. In fact, McCoy's voice was so strange that they, that the crew of his hijacked plane, they told the FBI, we think the hijacker was disguising his voice, but that that's just the way he talked. So whereas with Cooper, we have the gate, we have the ticket agent saying that Cooper had a quote pleasant voice, whatever that means. Uh, we've got uh, the flight attendant saying he had no accent whatsoever, no discernible oddness in his dialogue, just flat low speech. So that's against McCoy. Uh, they microscopically tested McCoy's hair against the hair that they recovered from the Cooper's headcloth, no match. Uh, we, McCoy's, uh, Cooper's fingerprints were probably obfuscated somehow, glue or something, because all the, the only prints they got from Cooper are partial fingerprints. So they were, either he wiped them down or he did something to his fingerprints. And I've actually talked to one of the original case agents on this, on the Cooper case. And I asked him, I said, did, is that a movie trope? did guys actually do that Put glue on their fingers back in the days of where fingerprint was like DNA, right? He said, Oh, they absolutely did that. So, um, but what but what Cooper didn't do was his palm print. That's not a thing that people really knew about a lot of times. So we do have Cooper's palm print. They're really quite certain on that. The problem with a palm print is that the military nor the, uh, the military didn't take palm prints. In fact, they still don't take palm prints and uh, law enforcement did not take him, did not start taking palm prints as a standard thing they did until 2005 or so when LAPD and NYPD started doing that. So everybody started following suit after that. So we have Cooper's palm print, we're pretty sure. And they did get a palm print from McCoy and compared it, no match. So his palm print's no match, his hair's no match, his, his, his physical description's no match, that all 10 people said it wasn't him. In fact, uh, we believe he was on campus the day at BYU, the day of the hijacking. We and we think we think that the class that he was at didn't take roll, so they couldn't officially say that. But they think he was there. The next morning, 10 a.m., the morning after the hijacking, he is observed on his couch by a witness who walks in the house and goes, "Who had who had a guy who had Thanksgiving lunch with McCoy?" said he was on the couch chilling out at 10 a.m. Now, geography for those who don't understand, that's a long way. Like the West Coast is really big. Like it's a long damn way to go from. Portland to, you know, Salt Lake City, that's actually quite a haul, especially when you've jumped out of a jet, right? How do you, I mean, it's just not, it wasn't McCoy, people. It just wasn't. With, with respect to Rick McCoy, it's, if Rick is watching, it, it wasn't your dad. It just wasn't. And, that, and I don't know why it has to be your dad. Your dad's story is fascinating in its own right. There's no need for him to be Cooper also. He can just be Richard McCoy, a badass skyjacker, you know, who escaped prison m- multiple times, you know, so I don't. But anyway, well,
1: so the other thing, the other the other thing is uh he was 28 years of age at the time of the skyjacking. And D.B. Cooper is universally pegged yeah. out with the sort of outlier, I think, uh, with Alice. But basically, you know, w- what do we figure? The average age was 48,
0: 48. So you know, here's him.
1: a guy who's uh, about 48, according to the premier witnesses. And he was 20 years younger, 28. And Tina at the time, I think, was 23. Right. So she's literally five, five yeah. years younger than McCoy so they're contemporaries yeah you know, there's no way a 23 year old woman is for hours talking to a 28 no. year old guy thinking that he's 48 I mean that's well, it, just and see and see people
0: will happen. often people will often throw out there the fact they'll say well look at the video of McCoy and photos and yeah you know what McCoy looked old to, to a guy to to, to, a pe- to people in our age age is relative to, to, to the time period that you live in right so, yeah. yes, McCoy looks older to us than, than a 28-year-old would now. I mean, McCoy looks probably older than me, you know, in, the, in, those, in those videos, right? But let's remember something, that the witnesses to McCoy's hijacking, we have those files. We have those 302s, just like we have for Cooper. And those stewardesses pegged him at like 26 to 29, 30, you know, none of them even said yeah. 30. So all of his own <laughs> people said he was in his 20s.
1: Well, that's that's the thing about it is you know the thing that's important to understand when we're looking at footage from 1972 when he skyjacked the other jet, this this wasn't HD footage. You know, this is just regular shitty TV footage. So seeing the person, the seeing the man in person as Tina Mucklow clearly did see DB Cooper in real life for several hours you know, you get a lot much better feel for someone's age than looking out through an old RCA TV set with rabbit ears. You know what I'm yeah, saying? And it's not,
0: and it's not just that, Eric, it's, it's the fact that, you know, age is also in the way you carry yourself, the way you speak, you know, your mannerisms, your tone, like, right. you know, McCoy, it, McCoy was somebody that the girls would have, that the, that the girls would have dated a guy that age, right? They would have, yeah. dated, a, they could have dated a guy five years older than them, but, but, but McCuper was their father's age, right? I and mean, yeah. so that's a huge difference. And that's not, I mean, again, I challenge anyone to sit next to a, a, a woman for hours who's 23 years old and you're 28 and have them say, well, I think he was late forties or mid forties. No way, like just, just that's yeah. just ridiculous, right? I, I, it's preposterous to me, <laughs> and so you, you know, got you have got a
1: hard life. If, if yeah. she's rolling, she's rolling out the forty-eight plus thing, man.
0: It's... Yeah, I mean, I always point—I always point out that the very first impression that we have of DB Cooper was written down by Florence Schaffner in the cockpit while Cooper sat a hundred feet behind her in That's his fifties. Right. That's Okay, right. in his fifties. Now she thought about it and came down to mid forties, but still. You know, well, yeah, that's they
2: kind of had like if they kind of had to a little bit, like if they kept it up like in the in the 50s, like all they were all they were going to get is leads is like is like is like, you know, grandpa, you know, old. Old dudes, like you know, old, old squares. Like you know, they, they weren't gonna get any skydivers, you know. You weren't gonna get any, you know, any of this, you know. So it's like, imagine if that was their suspect pool. It, it would have been a lot easier work for the for the FBI, I'll tell you. If they were stranded uh, on, on a higher, how range. tall was
1: uh, how tall was McQueen? But you know,
0: yes, he was five ten on the on okay. the on the nose.
2: Yeah.
0: Okay, he's Five
1: ten. Okay, I, mean, so I mean, that's you know, it, it, me personally, it's a little out of the range, but it's not. A deal breaker, you know. Uh, you know, to be honest with you. So. You know what's
0: weird. You know what's weird is in is in uh, the McCoy three o twos. One of the stewardesses thought he was five five. Like <laughs> it says five foot five. Oh and really? Like, yeah, it's bizarre. It's like now she yeah. may have only seen him sitting down. I, I wish I had a picture I could pull up. McCoy's body was. He had these like really stumpy legs mccoy's mccoy yeah. had this weird shape i wish i could show people it's it's bizarre actually in my video if you're on my web if you're on my youtube page you've probably seen my mccoy video i have the photographs of him standing his mugshots, shots where he's standing sideways and everything and you can see his little weird little legs but but um mccoy hopefully they'll rule him out and say it was not mccoy i don't know why they wanted the parachute clearly that's not the parachute that was given um
1: yeah, but, Ryan, I mean, it makes perfect sense. I mean, I actually thought about that. And I thought, big fucking deal. So they want a parachute. I mean, honestly, if if I had discovered in some attic of Sheridan Peterson's son an old parachute, I would think the FBI would say, hell, let's take a look at it. Well, why not? He's a main suspect. Why not? Even, even being administratively closed, because, you know, that's yeah. something very easy. So True. that actually isn't a big deal to me at all. It's like, of course, of course, he's a main suspect, you know, uh, and you find a parachute, at least that's the story. I'm not 100% believing all, you know, I'm very skeptical of anything related to Dan Gride, to be perfectly honest with you. So, you know, and, and, and that's that's just it. I mean, for example, if you read closely the article, you know, the rationale for holding on to this secret information, the family, is because they wanted their mother the, wait till the mother passed away. The mother passed away in 2020. It's 2024. What the fuck took so long?
0: Well, and what, the mother- took,
1: what, the, what the hell took three and a half years or three years before you decided to come forward? So, again, it's shit like that. It's, like, it's not like the mom died in 2020 and then, you know, a couple of months later you say mom had a story to tell. Here it is. It's just coincidentally when Dan Grider starts coming around or whatever the deal is three yeah. and a half years later, whatever. So it's like again, there's I, I've been around too long to you know, like again, in my mind it just doesn't pass the smell. Test. No, it now, having took said a, that,
0: yeah. having
1: said that, they did verifiably approach the son about the DNA, so we know that's true.
0: Yeah, but, and uh, and they tried actually. So we have uh, in in the Cooper files we have where during this DNA initiative, they did contact Karen McCoy at the time. And Karen said, look, it's not my job for you guys to solve it. it, She goes, it's basically, we have it where she says something like, um, you know, it's not my fault. You guys can't solve a a 30, a 40 year old hijacking or a 30 year old hijacking, you know? And she hung up on him. It's like, it's not my, and she was basically saying it's not my husband. It wasn't him. And look, McCoy, I mean, she sued, you know, the former FBI agents and won. Okay. Now, you know the only def- you know a, a defense to defamation is the truth, all right. And so if if the if it was true that Cooper that McCoy was Cooper, then she would not have won the defamation suit. So she won. Now we've been trying uh, Martin Andrade and I've been trying to get the case files from that lawsuit because the case files might have some things in there that you know we don't know about, right? Where where Karen McCoy was giving them more evidence saying look it was not him, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I mean. So, but here, let me show the parachute. Here's the parachute and what's wrong with it. This is the one that Grider conveniently found in an attic on camera, you know, live on camera. Yeah, it um, very, very,
1: yeah. reminds me
0: a lot of uh, Thomas Colbert finding the parachute, parachute strap. Oh, yeah.
2: dude, it was exactly, it reminded yeah. me exactly like that. So here
0: we've got, let me just show people, people can see this overlay here on the screen. I circled the things that are, or that are, are why this could not be Cooper's chute. So on the top there, there are these things called Cape Wells. Cape whales are basically things that'll unstrap you like immediately from your parachute in case you're gonna drown or something, right? Now, Cooper's chute we know did not have Cape whales. It was too old to have Cape whales, I believe. And also, uh, you know, Earl Cossey and Norman Hayden said it did not have those on them, okay? The things on the bottom are the infamous D-rings, okay? Those are things that we know Cooper didn't have, the D-rings, because Cooper could not strap his uh, front reserve chute onto his parachute. And And we actually have, according to Richard Tosaw, uh, Tina Mucklow apparently told him that Cooper was bitching about this, saying, "Hey, where's my D-rings? They should know. I ha- they should know I'm supposed to have these to strap my. I can't. Fun- you know, this isn't. This is not a full functional set of parachutes you gave me because I can't use the front chute. I can't use my reserve chute. So, it's- this has capewells on it and it has these D-rings on it, which we know for a fact that Cooper's parachutes did not have. So this could not have been DB Cooper's parachute." right there i mean that's just not it i mean and, and yeah. we knew that immediately upon when that documentary was came out that was the first thing i saw i said no way i mean that's yeah so and dan grider should know that uh, that's the problem that's my problem with dan if you're watching is you know this like you know that db cooper's parachute did not have d-rings on it i mean, you know i assume you do and so i yeah. you know i don't know so yeah. Anyway, but yeah, it's a it's interesting though that they're finally doing this. And Eric, if you, you know, maybe maybe you are to give maybe maybe you are the impetus for this. I don't know, you know, for what they're doing. I don't know. Um, well, that, just,
1: that that appears to be that you know again the FBI isn't it hasn't exactly come straight out and said that, but I mean, there's enough there's enough kind of uh, sources or behind the scene things that are basically indicate you know, they, they, that's what, that's what did it, you know, and it makes sense. And the timing adds up and everything else, you know, again, they're not coming to, you know, Richard Floyd McCoy's son, you know, five months after my lawsuit, suddenly asking for DNA on a closed case, you know, it's, it's, it's like, come on, dude. I mean, you know, we, we know what's going on here now. Now, I, and I understand the reason the FBI has, has done it quietly, you know, because again, they do. They do want to avoid a situation where, you know, there's a, a sudden flood of, uh, you know, people reaching out to them, which, you know, I think with all the media attention, that's exactly what's going to happen. In yeah. fact, it's interesting because if you read the article, uh, uh, Richard Floyd McCoy's uh, son uh, said it's quoted in the article saying that the, the FBI told him that this is going to be uh that this whole thing is precipitated by the uh amount of publicity that they've been taking lately that's been going on around the case lately so therefore it's actually going to be prioritized i can't remember exactly how it's worded but effectively what if the son can be believed what he basically says is that the FBI told him the reason that this whole, th- the reason they're doing this is because of all this, uh, interest in the case recently. And, uh, it's kind of a hot topic right now. And basically that's also going to lead to them essentially prioritizing, prioritizing that. So,
0: right. Yeah. That's, yes. that's
1: it. I mean, that, that's what happened. That's exactly what happened. So that was, you know, that was sort of the ancillary secondary benefit of, um, of this of the lawsuit you know I mean I figured there was a few different ways that this that could work I could get access to the tie you know test the spindle see what happened there the and the other thing of course was the court of public opinion the pressure campaign there and I was more or less thinking in terms of pressure campaign and they just relent and say you know what we'll open the door for 10 minutes come on in and do whatever I didn't really seriously entertain that they would say, you know what, let's do it ourselves, but you know, good for them.
0: So. Yeah. And I would like to see them test. I mean, I, you know, I don't know what they're testing, you know, um, and obviously the tie, of course, but you know, there are other things as well uh, to test uh, mainly just the parachutes. I mean, we know that, that he touched, essentially we have his re- DB Cooper, for those who don't know, uh, famously opened up one of the reserve parachutes and cut about 80 to 90 feet of shroud lines off of it and used it to tie the money bag to himself and all that sort of stuff. And when he was doing this though, he would have, you know, parachute cord's not easy to cut. So he would have had to have gripped it pretty hard to cut through. And so when he's doing this, he's holding on to presumably something now that, I mean, so whatever he was holding on to, is gonna have skin cells on there. And really you only need two skin cells uh, today to use DNA, to get DNA from, to get very good DNA. So his skin cells, especially if he's gripping really hard and the cord is yanking around while he's doing all this number, you know, that's gonna have some DNA on there perhaps, you know, and I don't think we, we know that, that the tie, this is why Eric has gotten with the spindle stuff is because that's not as contaminated as other parts of the tie have been. We know the tie has been passed around like a joint at a frat party, you know, I mean, they've passed that thing that, you know, every agency under the sun has, has had that tie and taken a token passed it to the left, you know, I mean, (laughs) basically, I mean, so everybody's had language there. (laughs) 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 Language. Yeah. So, so we know that they've done that. Um, but the, the shroud lines though, haven't really been, probably haven't been touched as much as the tie. And that's the benefit of Eric Spindle thing is that that, kind of is a hidden source of DNA that, you know, maybe leaky sweat dripping into it, I think is what your, your thesis is, right, Eric, is that his sweat would just if he was ever hot or something, it would drip into the spindle. Is that what it is?
1: No, no. Uh, The spindle, the spindle is twisted open. So his fingers opening the spindle, there's no way he doesn't get touch DNA on the spindle because it's it's like a little spindle and there's like a little metal shaft underneath it so uh it's kind of hard to explain but no, the I've point got a is picture. That, yeah yeah so the so the and the purpose of the spindle is that if you open it up and twist it open that it can make the tie knot more prominent cuz the gentlemen back then and I, I suppose today as well you know sometimes you 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 know some men prefer to have the tie knot a little more prominent some men have a rather have a little more subdued. So uh, so that was the reason for that particular device in there. And that was a feature that is not at all apparent, just looking at the tie. Now when you buy the tie, it's actual, the feature is actually listed on the little uh, card that comes with the tie. Uh, but of course, you know, when the FBI collected the tie in 1971, the tie was at that point, you know, seven years old uh, thereabouts. So they didn't have the you know <laughs> brand new uh, paperwork that went with it. Uh, so the point is is that that would be it was it's, it's in the closed position. It's always been in the closed position. I've I've you know I didn't even is realize that, it opened. What's yeah,
0: that? I was I, I, so there's a photo now. I've put the photo that was in the Sun article up so everybody can see. Yeah, it.
1: that's that's is that open?
0: Thought. Okay, now is that, that that's is open, a, open? It's position. open. Yet?
1: That's open and that's my tie. That's to show you what it looks like when the spindle's open like that. So you see that metal shaft under the, the spindle head there. That's the thing where as you're, you know, messing around with that area that you touch that, you're going to have touch DNA. It's, it's you know, it's skin, skin, cells, skin cells, oils, yeah, anything. Exactly. And yeah. then when you close it back up, which DB Cooper, obviously, it was in a closed position at the time it was procured. That little shaft, if it had DNA on it, is actually encased in like a little metal cylinder. So it's really well protected. You can't access, you can't contaminate it unless you reopen the thing. And the important thing to understand is that in 2001, when the FBI tested the tie initially, they didn't have touch DNA testing. It didn't exist. It was uh, somewhere closer to 25, I believe, when uh, they could finally uh, test for touch DNA so uh so there you know any dna person at quantico looking at the uh anything metal on that tire or whatever back in 2001 wouldn't have tested anything because they can't you know they're going to be looking at the fibers in the tie, saliva sweat skin cells things of that nature uh which is presumably where their partial dna profile came from yeah
0: yeah okay yeah so i mean i hope that um Oh, crap. There we go. Hang on. I did, I did something. Anyway, anyway. So, yeah, um, Nikki, what do you I mean, do you have uh, what are your general thoughts about the case of the, the the state of the case at the current time? I mean,
2: you know, there's there's definitely some some hope out there, you know, um, w- with the with the DNA. You know, I'm just I'm still, you know, keeping my expectations in check because, you know, I, I've been in this case for a long time and, and I know how it goes and, you know, I know. Th- I know the Cooper curse is a real thing and, you know, it just seems like we're always getting teased just when we think, okay, yeah, maybe this oh, is, yeah. you know, this is going to be the turning point. And then we hit another brick wall. And so I'm just, you know, I'm expecting another brick wall. Um, but if, if, if it's not, then, then, then awesome. But I'm still, I'm still not getting my hopes up, but there are some, there are some promising things. I mean, you know, I think we're, we're obviously the closest, you know, we've ever been, Um, You know, I'm excited about uh, Tom getting in with his electron microscope and, and either uh, uh, confirming the the titanium antimony particles or, or or dismissing in one way or the other. So we know what we're working with there. Um, So, you know, on the forensic standpoint, you know, and, and, you know, testing some of those more, those other filters. So, you know, we we still got irons in the fire here. Uh, So, you know, I'm I'm hopeful, but, uh, you know, I'm still leery of the Cooper curse.
0: Yeah. I'm with you. Yeah. You, you cannot get your hopes up ever in this case. I mean, you just, I mean, it's easy to get in, it's easy to get your hopes up. You know, there's so many things to get your hopes up about, but then you just get dashed. Like you said, it's always, you know, Oh, we have the, you know, you know, they recovered Cooper's c- cigarette butts. Those will have good DNA on it where the, you know, what's funny is even the agents I, I even think about like Ralph hope, even the agents experienced the vortex right? These agents, you've got Ralph Hope in these 302s where he's, he's like, we have Ralph Hope writing to uh, the Vegas office saying, Hey, you guys still have those cigarettes, right? And Vegas goes, Oh, uh, we looked around for him. We can't find him. He goes, Oh, okay. Well, that sucks. Um, y'all have his hair still, right? Uh, no. And so he's like, Oh my God, you know? So, you know, even they, and look for those who I always have to repeat this cause it's like a broken record the cigarette butts were destroyed they weren't lost we had a lot of you know larry look larry carr could not larry carr was the most vocal of all of the cooper agents we've ever had god bless larry carr you know i mean seriously rock star he is he's the reason many of us are even involved in all this um i know i am because of larry um, you know his outreach that he did in the late 2000s was just remarkable and but the issue though is that larry didn't have time to to, to scrutinize all forty thousand documents, and he didn't have a certain thing called Adobe, you know, where he could put a term, you know, type a term in. Like I can type a term in. I can type. I have all forty thousand files. I can type butts in there, and every FBI file that says butts is going to pop up, right? HBR, yeah. Yeah, you know, Larry couldn't do that. Larry didn't have that advantage, and neither did the old case agents, right? So all we have to do is I can type butts in the in the in the in the files that have been released, and we see something saying. You know, the cigarette butts were destroyed. You know, they were destroyed, they were not lost, they were destroyed, they were intentionally destroyed. Now, the reason they were destroyed, for those who go, what the hell, you know what? is that what happened was, is that they sent, this is before DNA, we have to remember this is before DNA. So what they wanted is when they recovered them, two things, they wanted to make sure what brand of cigarettes it was, and they wanted to determine if there may have been some fingerprints on there, you know. So they sent these to the crime lab, And they told the crime lab, Hey, look, when you're done testing these, if there's no evidentiary value of them, please feel free to destroy them. Well, crime lab thankfully said we lost Nikki. Uh, The crime lab thankfully was like, look, uh, we're not going to, we're not going to destroy these. We're going to send them back to you guys, but they are Raleigh filter tip cigarettes that, and there's no fingerprints. So y'all can have them back. So presumably as soon as Vegas, as soon as Vegas got them back, which would have been, uh, I mean, there we go, there's Nikki, okay. So presumably, as soon, as soon as Vegas got them back with this negative report, they destroyed them themselves. And what's funny is I asked Larry, I said, well, what, what does destroying cigarettes even mean? Like, you know, would they burn them or something? He goes, no, they probably just threw them in the trash. <laughs> so it's like, okay. So yeah, D.B. Cooper's cigarettes obviously went in the trash can somewhere um, back in 1971, probably December of 71. Those had been gone for a long time. Um, that the,
1: one, uh, the one interesting thing about this the analysis that Quantico did uh, that I think is actually pretty valuable is obviously there were eight cigarette butts, and seven of the cigarettes weren't fully smoked, and one of them was kind of smoked down to the nubs. So, why I consider that interesting is because Tina smoked a cigarette with DB Cooper. And I've right. always really speculated that Tina, who is a former smoker, Uh, That she was, that was her cigarette, the one that was smoked down to the nubs and that the one, the other seven that were partially smoked were the, were D.B. Cooper's cigarettes. Now make of that what you will. But uh, I think the the truth of the matter is that D.B. Cooper actually smoked seven cigarettes, not eight, seven. And obviously those seven are, are, there's a consistent pattern as far as that goes. So just a little side note. So I do think that at a minimum there was that. That, and that is the value. And of course, they also determined it was the king size filter, uh, you know, Raleigh, Raleigh smoke soft pack, you know, that all yeah. came from that analysis as well.
0: Yeah. yeah and, and Larry's, um, you know, the FBI actually has all these profiles that they've got for smokers. I mean, you know, that's, that's how deep in the weeds the FBI are. And apparently Raleigh's were smoked by more of an upscale type of person at the time period as uh, my understanding from, Larry. I'd love to see that report myself, but Larry says that that was his determination was that when he researched it, that Raleigh's um, were more of a upper scale, upper middle class type of thing. You know, weren't like, you know, you know, some guy working at a gas station is probably not smoking Raleigh's. That's just not his brand, you know? So, and they were a little bit more expensive, I think too. Um, but, yeah. but um, yeah, I do think, I personally think Cooper was a smoker. I don't see any reason for him to I don't think, I don't think the FBI, you know, I'm not sure if they ever eliminated somebody just because they weren't a smoker. I don't know if they ever did that. Just if that was their sole reason, might've been, but, um, you know, I would say that I probably do think he was, I mean, the odds are he was a smoker, I would think. Now he was not, a, he was not a chain smoker in the degree that we would think because seven cigarettes over really five hours is not, well, there's no indication. What's funny about it is there's no indication that he smoked after they landed. Okay. So. he really smoked seven cigarettes in i guess When they landed at 5 45 they took off at three so two and a half hour two two hours 45 minutes he smoked seven cigarettes in two in two and a half hours basically so that's not i mean that's a lot i guess but he wasn't like jonesing so bad that he had to smoke while he was right like 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 i i I don't know this for a fact but i'm assuming like kahneman
2: was a chain smoker because he ordered all those uh (laughs) all of those boxes of benson (laughs) and hedges right (laughs) So, <laughs> I mean, if Cooper was was like a chain smoker, like a nicotine fiend, he would have he would have put that into his ransom request. I want a, mo- a couple more packs of cigs, or he you know he would have had more more cigarettes on him, which he could have had more cigarettes on him. But you think if he did, he would have smoked more. And there was time periods where he didn't smoke, which could have you know he didn't like no one saw him smoking in you know uh, in the airport waiting. Um, I think nobody wasn't there another point where no one saw him smoking after. Uh, after the plane landed, or? yeah,
0: he, yeah. There's no, in, I mean, he may have, but there's yeah. no indication that he ever smoked um, okay. after they landed. Now I don't know. I mean, again, that's not a <laughs> detail that they would have. I mean, maybe he did, right? I don't know. Yeah. I mean, you know, he had, he had a. After they landed, he, they, did, I mean, they, they had about two. They had about ten. You see, they landed in Seattle at 5:45, and they took off at 7:36. So, I mean, he had two hours to just, sh- you know, shoot the shit basically on the ground there. So he may have smoked a cigarette. What's funny, yeah, I always, I always awesome think about. It, I always think about our friend McNally. uh Marty Mac ran out of his, ran out of his own cigarettes and started bumming cigarettes from the hostages. Which, if you've met Mac, that sounds exactly like McNally. It's <laughs> something he would have done, you know. So he was bumming cigarettes from his own hostages, which I think is pretty funny. Well, I'll Mack. tell you
1: what: if I was skyjacking a jet, I would say, you know what? Give me a box of cigars and a bottle of uh, McAllen, and you know, we'll, we'll, to tie me over. So yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah.
0: It, well, like, well, like. uh Nikki was mentioning uh, Heineman, who was one of Cooper's copycats. He yeah. uh, part of part of his ransom demands was like eight cartons yeah. of Benson and Hedges cigarettes. Eight, eight <laughs> cartons, <laughs> and, he, and he, took out, he took him out too. So, yeah. so, so Heineman exited exited the plane with the plane with three hundred three thousand dollars and eight cartons of Benson and Hedges cigarette smokes. Yeah. Jumping into the jungle of Honduras, you need your Benson and Hedges, uh, which is what he did ah. for sure.
1: I'll be, uh, I'll be very curious to see how the FBI responds to uh, my specific request uh, or invitation rather to, to them to, to test uh, Vince Peterson. Um, And I'm sure there'll be others as well, you know, so I'll be very interested to see what happens there. And, uh, you know, I mean, I'll, I'll I'll put together something that kind of lays out, you know, why I'm particularly interested in mr peterson you know the the titanium and antimony yeah you
2: know
1: and one and yeah and that's and i think it's important and and you know one sort of interesting side note um you know talking about fingerprints which always makes me and i don't know i don't know if db cooper put glue on his fingers or whatever to obscure his Mm -hmm. fingerprints but one extra little fact uh, that you may find interesting is that uh vince peterson's wife worked at the when they first met and they were married for 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 several years. Uh, She worked at the FBI in Washington, D.C., and she worked in the fingerprint lab in Washington, D.C. So that's a little extra side note that uh, is a well intriguing fact. Make of it what you will. You know
0: what and if if you remember, Eric, you know, Nikki Remember, we determined that we'd spoke to somebody who was a metallurgist and those guys would would accidentally burn their finger fingerprints off right
2: yeah
0: is that correct Nikki?
2: and 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 basically but not only that there were also um any any fingerprint like when they were working it it could contaminate their sample so they were just very um just by the nature of their work they were very conscientious about how they touch things and, and 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 stuff like that so just by just by the nature of, of being a metallurgist and uh working with these samples they don't want to contaminate you had to be very careful so they had that kind of they had that kind of discipline and also from working with their hands on this stuff uh with different chemicals and stuff their hands their their hands get really you know uh jacked up to the point where they couldn't maybe couldn't yeah even, leave like all that
0: well and and you know we, we look at the our two metallurgist suspects are Vincent Peterson and Milton Vordal and both those guys died of, uh, you know, brain diseases, essentially, Um, which we look at the time period that these guys worked in. This is obviously pre-OSHA, right? So there was no safety protocols that these guys were going through. These guys were handling very toxic chemicals. Like if you talk to Tom Kay and stuff, vanadium and all these, these are really ugly things. They're toxic. They kill you if you, you know, if you inhale them enough. I mean, so, well,
2: where Verdal worked at Hanford I think they called it the number one toxic the number one toxic play, uh, place in America uh, I believe I believe it was yeah uh, they they called it that so I mean the fact that he even lived to, to his age um you know for the years he spent at, at, at Hanford I mean it's kind of crazy
0: yeah you're right a lot of the guys who worked with like you, you, you watch Oppenheimer right and a lot of these guys who worked with these nuclear materials early on in the in the nuclear age right um you know you wonder how much you know we, it's not documented how sick these guys got but i bet if i, I mean I, I would imagine there may be studies on that to see what the long the long effects but like i said you know verdal and peterson both died of these mental you know brain diseases which or could be could have came from their exposure to toxic you know things you know, like for example we know that verdal died of a disease that's super rare i mean like really 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 rare brain disease um that caused impulsivity control. And that was really one of our things with Verdahl was, hey, you know, how long was he suffering from this illness where he had impulse control? You know, would this cause him to go do something completely haywire, like hijack a jet? You know, so we don't know. And um, it's interesting stuff. So let me see some questions. Uh, Brad says, was there, were, was there, were there any hijackings before the D, before D.B. Cooper? I like that, the D.B. Cooper. Were there any hijackings before D.B. Cooper? And has anyone checked out those suspects? Well, funny you say that between 68 and 72, there were 130 hijackings in just a five-year period. We had 130 hijackings in America. Now, almost exclusively, these were people who wanted to go to Cuba. It was, these were Cuban exiles or revolutionaries, kids who got you know Castro fever and wanted to go to Castro's paradise, right? Now, they're, When they got there, their Castro's paradise was a jail cell uh, in, in in Cuba, which is probably not a good place to be. Uh, cause Castro didn't like them either coming there. Um, but there was in 1969, we did have our first extortion hijacking. There was a, a, it's always a post post worker who goes postal, right? We had our first incident of going postal. It was a a guy named Arthur Barkley who, uh, he hijacked a jet because he didn't want to pay the IRS $312. Uh, he went crazy and hijacked a jet and asked for a hundred million dollars. Which I don't know what a hundred million dollars would be in 1970, <laughs> 1969, a billion, I guess. Um, but they finally fooled him. They said, "Okay, we've got your hundred million dollars." They laid out a bunch of mailbags uh, full of just you know paper, and they said, "Oh, there's your money. Go get it." And and they shot out the they shot out the uh, they shot out the uh, the tires from the jet, and they got him. But our so our first extortion hijacking was actually in '69. Then famously. Thirteen days before the Cooper hijacking, we have Paul Sini, who is our first parajacker. That's a term we use for parachuting hijacker. parajackers. Uh, Paul Sini is our first one. He was a bit of a loser from Canada who uh, got drunk, and co- he was watching, actually watching on his couch. He was drinking a beer and was watching TV and was watching one of these 130 hijackings. and said, these guys are stupid. Like, wh- wherever they land, they're going to have to get off the plane eventually. So his, so his brain was like, well, you, maybe you can escape from a plane, right? And, when, and, then, and so really, I believe this was his, this is his idea. I don't believe Cooper, I, I do think Cooper was co- a copycat, essentially. I think Cooper said, I can do that too. I can just do it better. Watch me, you know, hold my beer sort of thing, right? You know, I can do this myself. So Sini's ended prematurely when uh, he had no plan to jump. Sini did not hijack a plan that he could jump from. He was gonna have to open a pressurized door and suck everybody out of the plane to do it. And everybody, he was out of his mind a little bit. So everybody freaked out, said he was gonna kill us all. So one of the male flight attendants hit him in the back of the head with an ax uh, and ended that quickly.
1: All, all scene you needed to do is wait for uh, you know uh, Alaska Airlines 737, and uh, there you go. Door open up on the side mid-flight. He's good to go. Portland, Oregon at that. You know, perfect.
2: Oh, right.
0: I, w- I wish I had the drum rim shot cymbal crash audio I could play for you, Rick. <laughs> you, need was- a, you need to get a soundboard, Ryan. <laughs> I know. I need the sound. <laughs> yeah, I know. That would be terrifying. You know, I saw that footage there. They're so lucky. They are so lucky that nobody was sitting in that seat. I mean, they would yeah. have been gone. I mean, it would have pulled them out. They'd have been died. They'd have yeah. killed them. You know, well, I think that, there was
2: no there was no seats. They didn't have seats on that. Uh, next uh, on that. From my understanding they didn't have seats on that next to that emergency door there.
0: Well, no, they didn't. Oh. No, they did. But nobody was oh, sitting we, in it. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah that, subs- I thought that I read that,
2: see, that one didn't have seats there. So th- th- someone could actually have been sitting there. Oh, absolutely.
0: And they said that they, the TSA said, look, or the, uh, the NTSB said, look, it would have killed somebody because, I mean, it was ripping shirts off of people. No, I know. Yeah. yeah. I, I didn't
2: know there were seats there, though. Holy crap. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. And I always try to fly. I always book my flights way in advance so I can stretch out on those emergency rows. So it makes me, I I, I won't take the window seat next time on the emergency row. Yeah. You know, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah. I see. Brad yeah. says, yeah, Brad says that Alvin Carpus and John Dillinger burned their fingerprints off. Yeah. I mean, like I said, that is something that people did, but we don't know if cooper was that sort of criminal i mean maybe but let's see um so can we officially say that the dna sample the fbi has is completely is completely exculpatory for suspects like kenny ld can we say this with certainty now i i don't see the thing is the article we, we just don't know if they've actually run the test yet right i mean we we think they've tested the actual to get the dna but whether they've compared them yet we're not sure. I mean, that's not, it doesn't seem like they've done that Right. Yeah, we
2: don't know, like Eric thinks like, well, Eric thinks, well, why are they, why are they asking if they don't have it yet? This could just, uh, and which it's makes preliminary. sense, but, but it could, it could, it could be wrong. They could just be collecting these ahead of time in preparation. Um, although that seems kind of weird. You, you think, like you said, yeah. you think they would want to have the file first before they even bother with that. That's, but, you know, that's with this the thing face, freaking like knows, you know, but. I mean, I definitely lean to what you're thinking, but I mean, we don't really, we still don't really know the FBI hasn't come out and said, yeah, we got a, we got this pro we got a profile 100% off this item, you know, off the spindle or off of this or off or off multiple items and we've matched it or something, you know?
1: Well, this is what we do know. We do know that, uh, in the first DNA initiative, uh, they, Procured the DNA profile in two thousand one, and they had a profile. And once they had a profile, they decided, now what are we going to do with it? And that's when they came up with the DNA initiative and looked at the. Well,
2: at they, had the remember, they had three had three partial it, it profiles. Lines, it lines up with how they did the first one.
1: Yeah, yeah, but yeah. my but my point is, is they they had something to work with before they bothered getting DNA from yeah. Sharon Peterson, for example. So in in the case of what we got here. It just stands to reason that they are going to test, you know, the tie, specifically the spindle, and they're going to see if there's anything there or not. If there's nothing there, all well that ends well, I guess you just leave it alone, you know. There's no way in hell they're going to be approaching people for DNA samples, you know, five months after the, the lawsuit was filed and everything, not knowing if they even have anything to work with in part because I, I think that they probably suspected that eventually this story was gonna get out. You know, Someone's gonna figure out, hey, there are FBI's snooping around this case again. So uh, yeah, so it just makes perfect sense. And I do think the fact that it's been six months at this point, uh, I think really speaks to the fact that I believe we can pretty much safely say that none of the people that they've looked at up to this point, uh, Matched, because again, once they have a profile, it's it's just number. It's just numbers on a piece of paper. I mean, it takes you a a thirty seconds to say that matches or it doesn't match. You know, you overlap it. You know, is a match? Nope. (laughs) There you go. Done deal.
0: And for those wondering, so in two thousand one, when they tested the tie, they got three partial profiles. They got two minor contributors and one major contributor. Now, so they they did get three profiles from. In 2001 but they were very partial actually you can do i mean dna is there is it's like bc and ad as far as dna's come from from 2001 it's completely different you know back in in 2001 i mean dna is exponentially better now you know uh i think the fbi is at at eric's door probably i think that's he's getting in he's getting the knock on his door by the g-men uh, no, but, uh, I had
1: to, uh, I had a cat meowing at the, uh, <laughs> at the door and, you know, cats, uh, rule when they're, when I'm around cats, cats, uh, come first. <laughs> yeah. I,
0: yeah. Yeah. I had to put mine up in, in the bedroom, but, uh, yeah, so they, so there, so there were three profiles, they had two minor contributors, one major, but they were very partial. And at the time, um, it could not even, uh, I mean, basically when Larry Carr took over, he contacted the he contacted the crime lab and said, look, you know will you look at this again and tell me if this is even worthwhile this dna we have currently and they said not really they said look I mean, you're looking at millions of people it could be i mean so all they could do was exclude so they couldn't like even if say for example if sheridan peterson's dna um tested hot i guess right it would not confirm that he was the hijacker it would confirm that he was one of two million people who were related to the hijacker right and and so, it, but it, but it could exclude. But they but they saw it as exclusionary. So, like, well, if you if you don't match one of these millions of people, then you're not Cooper. And I know the ones that they excluded. I've never seen the documentation. I, I have foia for Sheridan's file. You know, I'll get it once I'm dead in the ground, I guess. But um, I foia for his file. I know Eric even. I think you've done you've done that too. Maybe I don't know if you have would for Sheridan's file. Maybe not. I don't know. But, but um, anyway, in his file, you know, there's no. We know that Langseth, LD Cooper, Kenny Christensen, this Arthur Durham idiot, Dwayne and Gossett were eliminated off of that DNA profile. But again, I have no confidence whatsoever that that any of those three profiles were Cooper's DNA just because of the extreme contamination that was occurring on that tie. Like I said, that tie was handled without gloves by likely dozens of of FBI agents over 30 years they put that thing in the U.S. mail multiple times, shipped it back and forth across the country. It laid on a, I know for a fact, that it laid on the desk of an FBI agent in L.A. for about four months, just sitting there. So before he showed it to some guy's wife and said, oh, was this your husband's tie? And she said, no, he said, thank you. And he sent it back to Seattle. So then that's where Eric Spindle stuff. Let me just go back real quick. So go ahead, go ahead,
2: Nikki. I just want to say but how do we know the ties not like in a zip in a Ziploc sealed thing the whole time it's being moved like you're, are we just assuming that it, the tie is just being moved raw not in any kind of um yeah any kind of con like Ziploc container or anything sure. like that I mean why would they we don't, know, we they, don't, know, how we don't know that
0: no we don't know that but I mean I don't know why they would care I mean if, if DNA was not in your mind That's it'd true. Be on, I mean it would be like for example if somehow if if 100 years from now. Our brain waves, our, our a transmission from our brain waves could be like sucked up, right? Like we—that's the last thing we would think of. You know, can I guard my brain waves from somebody, right? You see what I'm saying? Like so, DNA did not exist to them, so they—they weren't even thinking that. Like that, you know. So why would they? All they cared about was fingerprints at that time, and you can't get fingerprints off of porous materials like, or not really, not really. Get fingerprints off of porous materials like. uh, a tie, right, fabric, really. So I don't think they cared. I mean, you know, I think it was in a box. No, it was in an envelope. I think I've seen, a, actually, you know, I do what, I'm going to ask Larry that. I do think it was, in a, it was in a manila envelope. I think there's a video of, of Larry literally pulling it out of this envelope. So I do think it was it was in a manila envelope in a box.
2: That's what I was going to say in that video where Larry shows all the evidence. How what did he pull it out from? So if it was if it, yeah. was, in the, if it was in the box and yeah, probably it was just uh, or if it was a vanilla envelope, probably it was just transferred that way. And then you got to assume when that agent showing showing whoever, you know, they're handling it. I mean, obviously, obviously it's been handled by multiple agents. Yeah,
0: I mean, but and that's again, that's where Eric's Spindle deal. Yeah, that's
2: is that's where the, the spindle beneficial.
0: Is, yeah. Certainly. So, so it's skin, So, Eric, it's really skin cells that you're looking for on the spindle, right?
1: Well, yeah. skins. Yeah, any kind of skin cells, anything related to touch. You know, oils from your finger, which are going to have skin cells in the oils. You know, so yeah, yeah that, perf- that, that, that's, I mean, it's
2: it's perfect for touch DNA. That chamber, like like yeah. like Eric said, it's it's perfect for it. You know, if Cooper opened that up, uh, you know his 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 skin cells, his stuff's in there. That with the way touch DNA is now. That's no problem if, if, if yeah, he indeed opened it up. yeah. There's, uh, there's say, no way to
1: avoid it because even like I was talking about this with Tom when I visited, you know, him uh, in southern Arizona what a month ago now or something like that. And I was just we were just talking about the sensitivity of DNA testing equipment. And he said, listen, man, you remember the show, the History Channel show that that I did, which, by the way, airs tomorrow, our What's today? Today's Saturday, uh, Monday. So, Monday it's re airing on the History Channel if anybody wants to see it. Um, so, but Tom was saying, you know, even in the case of that, the filter that he gave us that we used on the show that ended up being contaminated with Tom's DNA, he says that thing was sealed up. And he said, the only thing I did is I basically took it out of the sealed thing and transferred it to a Ziploc bag, you know, didn't touch it with his fingers. He like, with tweezers just kind of transferred it over. That was enough. That was enough breathing or whatever the hell happened there. There's enough interaction with that filter for that moment that Tom's DNA lit up like a Christmas tree when they analyzed it at the the DNA lab. And 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 that's what we were working with on the show because we thought that was DB Cooper's DNA. So that's how sensitive this stuff is nowadays. So Yeah, I mean they're going to get your
0: yeah. They're going to
1: get something. If he opened it up, it's
0: there. Yeah. So, what's interesting, Eric, is you've actually now, I'm trying to remember, you've seen the tie behind a glass or? You, yes. I mean, like, okay. Yeah. So I saw
1: okay. the tie. I was in uh, at D.C., I was at the FBI headquarters in Washington, D.C. in October of 21. So, it's been two and a half years now, something like okay. that. So, you've not been and, actually. Uh, and and the fbi agent uh, uh pulled it out uh and it was in a box kind of like a it was kind of like laying in this sort of a box that's imagine a box that's the length of the tie and it's only maybe a couple inches You're tall sure. and and it's and so the tie was kind of there must have been something under in the box something on there because the tie was just laying on the box so he just kind of showed showed me the tie through that so i was literally 10 feet from the tie but It was behind a glass door, so I I didn't come into contact with it. My DNA is not going to be on that tie. So,
0: so you were like a father being shown their child for the first time behind the glass. Yeah, exactly.
1: Here, here's the tie. (laughs) Here's the baby.
0: (laughs) Right here in jail. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, so, (laughs) so really though, if they're if the if they really want to be clever, I mean, if they want to do it right, they they need to get exclusionary samples from Tom from Brian Ingram uh handled the tie he told me yep. uh he uh see the other Carol uh the, and the other guy that worked with Tom Larry Carr probably handled it Alan I mean,
2: Stone yeah yeah
0: yeah so all these people who, I mean I mean all the all they, I mean, the agents all the agents yeah. that you
2: can track to you know
0: so they would yeah. need to get exclusionary, you know, and really the best thing to find, because they're, they're going to get multiple profiles off of that thing. There's going to get who God knows how many. I mean, maybe well, 30. Well, that's or why yeah. Tom
2: wants that, that sequencing.
0: Right. You know, well, yeah. and, and again, the way to do it, though, one clever way to do it is to uh, triangulate, basically, is if you get if this is why it's important to also um, do the DNA testing on like the shroud lines, for example, is you've got a set of shroud line DNA and then you have the tie DNA you can cross, you can triangulate. And eliminate, you know, who doesn't match both of them, right? So if Tom if if, you know Tom never handled the shroud lines, for example, then you know, then that DNA profile is not Cooper because it's not on both. You see what I'm saying? That's one way they could kind of triangulate and say, Hey, this guy's profiles on all this, all these objects. So that's beneficial that's why it's beneficial to test everything.
1: Tom, Tom did handle the shroud lines oh, I know he did. I'm just... Yeah, you're going to
2: have – I think Carol counted them out, so she definitely yeah. handled
1: them. Yeah, the one, the one thing that's really – that actually is very helpful as well, and Tom is the one who came up with this idea, is looking for a family of DNA. Because if D.B. Cooper had children, then it, the, their children's DNA is going to be on that tie as well. You know, from the filter. You know, we're talking about the filter here that Tom and I are working with, which is the front of the tie. So, so the point is, is if you have, you know, if it seems really likely that if DB Cooper was a father, that his children at some point would have also, you know, hugging hugging the father or whatever the deal is, you know, uh, transfer DNA to the tie. So if you pull up, you know, twenty DNA profiles and three of them are related then you know okay that's a family there that looks like you know that's probably db cooper and the kids or whatever the deal is so there but there is some things you can do as far the as the
0: issue though and i'll repeat for everybody the issue here i mean the, the real down i mean this is exciting news i guess but it really in some ways to be the debbie downer here like i said law enforcement agencies including the fbi only use uh what's called str which is short tandem Uh, repeat sequencing okay so that's all they're gonna get is this STR profile and that can only be used to cross check against known profiles that you have so you can only test it you can only cross cross it to get um, what's called single nucleotide polymorphisms SNP only private labs do that so this stuff really really needs to be sent to a private lab to really be able to get that and that's the DNA that we can plug into ancestry that's what that's what caught the golden state killer was this SNP so to be a Debbie Downer, we really need, we need the spindle, we need, we need the tie, and we need the parachute stuff, and we need all this stuff to go be tested at a real, like an off-site private lab to get the s profile, which allows us to find family members and do the whole thing with Ancestry and that sort of stuff. Um, because really with, with what they're doing now, we can only eliminate. Um, we can't use it to go find Cooper. I, I guess that's the best way to say it. We can't yeah. use this, this to find him. You know we can only use it to exclude people who are who has dna which is, which is still which is
2: still helpful because yeah, absolutely like said, the more yes the more we can the more things we can clear out the more you know the more what's left is what you know what we have to focus on so it it, it is helpful you know it's not it's not going to get us in the end zone but it it gets us it gets us close it gets us closer down it gets us farther down the field you know yeah
0: absolutely well, it, it's worthwhile the,
1: it, it gets us in the end zone if somebody matches you know well yeah that's, that's what I'm and, and,
0: and, i mean well and i'll just say i don't think any of the ones who we have any of those seven or eight or, or db cooper i mean i mean i don't really think so so i don't you know i mean but it, but it will be nice to confirm that you know see i don't take for example you know when we we have the fbi files saying gossett is eliminated as a contributor to the tie right but remember that's off the profile from 2001 so I don't take yeah. any, I, I I take no value in in the FBI's eliminations from the early two thousands, just because I don't trust that enough. I don't. I mean, getting three profiles, way there's there's way more than three people profiles on that tie, you know. So I, yeah. I don't trust it at all. Um, so, but now though, if they were to come out and say the problem is here, is they're not going to tell us. I mean, I guess Rick McCoy, if he's if he wants to be honest i mean he might say yeah they said it wasn't dad you know and that's i mean and i hope he does i hope he's i hope that you know he's i mean i would hope he's honest enough i don't know rick i would like to know rick i mean he seems like a nice guy i would really, i mean he came to coopercon i, I wish i knew rick and I, I trust that he'll be honest enough if they say it wasn't your dad to say hey to to go on a podcast and say yeah they told me it wasn't my dad you know so um which which I which, you know, I don't believe it was his dad, so that would be confirmation. So we'll see. I mean, you know, like I said, that they only have a few profiles. And like, you know, I don't believe there's it. I don't believe there's any clandestine profiles out there that we don't know about. Um, you know, this is not deep state crap. You know, this is a fifty year old hijacking that they care very little about. And I'm shocked that they care enough about it to even do what they're doing now, honestly. I I mean I guess it's just to shut people up from asking maybe. Um, but, I, but, it, but, it, but again, I don't know why they would even care to do that, Eric, because you know, I mean, they can just have their lawyer fire off some crap to shut people like you up. Right. I mean, so whatever their reasons for doing this, I applaud them, you know?
1: Well, according to, according to, uh, the sun, you know, it has to do with the fact that there was, uh, you know, there's been a lot of discussion around it lately. You know, a lot of new life has been breathed into it, which, again, is makes perfect sense to me. And that was part of the plan, you know, was to to sort of breathe life into it and kind of make it as, basically make it as popular as possible. You know, hopefully a family member comes up and, you know, because we want to keep it fresh in people's mind in case somebody finds something in the attic. But then also this secondary benefit of maybe the, the FBI itself sort of gets forced into it i mean at the end of the day they're a public agency they would have to respond to the american public you know they've had somewhat of a black eye uh you know or you know been getting smeared quite a bit by certain presidential candidates and that kind of stuff and you know so they've they've kind of been under assault and i think that's a very descriptive word so You know, that was part of the thing that I was trying to figure out is this is an opportunity for them to be the good guys. You know what I'm saying? The white hats, the good guys. I mean, who doesn't love this kind of thing, you know? And so to me, it just seemed like, boy, that makes no sense. I mean, you've got a PR issue as it is right now. And then everybody's sitting there scratching their head, including Jake Tapper and others saying – what's the big deal? I mean, it's sitting in a damn box. Just give them access for 10 minutes. doesn't cost a dime of taxpayer money or whatever. So, um, you know, it, 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 all starts to add up once it makes sense. Now let's put it that way. So
0: yeah, cool.
1: They're not immune to public pressure, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So
0: sure. Sure. I mean, I'm, I'm just glad that, uh, yeah. When Dina says, uh, you know, it has to drive the FBI nuts that they never solved this. I mean, it, it I mean, yeah, sure. I mean, it's 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 a I mean, the FBI usually get their man and uh for whatever reason, he did they it did not uh it didn't happen that way, you know? Right. I mean, and, and over the
2: years, you know, the people in power in the FBI change, you know, where whoever might have been in power before they didn't care. Maybe they didn't really care so much about the case. Maybe who's in power now kind of sees this. Hey, you know, we can, this will be a, this will be good. You know, we saw this, solve this case this will, you know, this will be good. This will be good publicity for us. You know, that, you know, maybe someone now that's in there is kind of seeing it a little differently than the last guy, you know, yeah. and, you know, maybe that's part of and the it's, reason as look, well.
0: It, it's not for lack of trying, you know, the FBI tried, they're best. I mean, look, I no, mean, yeah. you cannot spend the amount of time that the three of us have spent looking at the case files and not come away saying these guys really tried, you know, yeah. I mean, there's, eight, I mean, I don't know how many exact number is, but I believe that maybe Tom, uh, Mark Zade maybe knows the exact number, but I think it's like 80,000 documents. I mean, we're only halfway through the releases. I mean, we got 40,000 now. So, you know, we got, you know, half more to go. So that's really, they started in January, 2017. Here we are, February, 2024. That's seven years. So we're looking at like 2031 by the time they release all these files. So, I mean, that case, I mean, the case will be solved by then probably. Um, I would, I would hope so. I mean, I, I, if I'm, if I'm still doing this when I'm Eric's age,
1: what year will that be?
0: Yeah, I know. Well,
1: well, how old are you, Ryan?
0: I'm f- once you're past 40, you kind of forget, right? So, uh, 41, I think, yeah, 41. So yeah, that'll be, okay, so So,
1: 17 years exactly. older than you. So 17 years 41. from now, what's 20, that? 2041, 20, 40, 20, 2041.
0: Yeah. 20, 2041.
1: 20, 40 <laughs> 40 How about that?
0: Yeah. So and guess what? 24. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. And so I'm sure that, uh, I'm sure that Biden and Trump will still be battling each other by then. They'll, they'll rewrite yeah. the laws to keep, <laughs> you have eight term president, you know, who, and neither of them can speak a sentence correctly you know? yeah but anyway well um yeah some of us are Eric's age too funny enough for those you know who you know Verdal uh, I'll do a little verdal thing verdal is our oldest is our oldest legitimate suspect I would say he was 58 years old but that's Eric's age now and um Eric I would I will say you look mid-40s you do not look mid your 40s age, so yep I, and I, I, I I tell
1: you what, I could jump out of an airplane, and I could walk, as I that's, proved a few months ago. I could walk the ten miles or whatever the hell I could do it, you know. There's yeah, no so I mean, about it,
0: it. I mean, there you go. know, yeah, age is in, age is in the eye of the beholder. Unless you are, um unless you are Richard McCoy's people who did identify him appropriately uh, as well, the right I mean, age.
1: And the thing is, I mean, it is important to remember that. DB Cooper, whoever this guy was, was described as being fit, you know, he was fit, you know, and uh, so, I mean, you know, he was smoking a cigarette, so if he's a regular smoker, that may have been working against him, but, the, but you know, I think that speaking from experience here, you know, keeping the weight off, keeping additional weight off, you know, I'm not, I'm not overweight, I'm where I should be and everything else, you know, I think that's the main thing, so You can look at somebody like Cooper and obviously he was, you know, at least cognizant of, of his weight and, you know, so maybe he was, and I think that's all it takes, you know, I mean, obviously a lot of guys who were 58 years of age, you know, Vordal's age or my age, a lot of guys, I mean, honestly probably are packing 80 pounds or something they don't need. Yeah. That's a whole different world, man. You know, I mean, well, yeah, and remember,
0: well, remember, Nikki, we had uh, Vordal like shooting like a eighty three at like a golf tournament when he was seventy nine years old or something, right? I mean, so (laughs) seriously, shot an eighty three at seventy nine years old. So, I I mean, I I gotta
1: tell you, when I golf with Larry, I am not exaggerating. I, I swear to God, I ha- it had to be a 300, man. I am not kidding. <laughs> it was, I haven't golfed for 41 years. But Larry, Larry asked me, he said, you want to go golfing? And I said, I haven't golfed for 41 years, so hell yeah, let's do it. And uh, it was it was, I mean, that was, it fine, was freaking brutal. You know, the sick thing about it, I was actually talking about this uh, the other day with somebody. You know, especially the drive, you know, when you're going to, to, to drive it. I would sit there and I would, you know, I got my head down properly, swinging the arm, you know, get the, you know, and I'd make sure, you know, I'm making sure it's just right with the the ball on the tee, and every freaking time, man, I don't know what the hell it was, even though it was like a, I tried to repeat it flawlessly, every time, when it came (laughs) to the actual swing, I would hit the turf, you know? So the (laughs) ball... the ball would move like, you know, five feet, but there would be uh, a yard swath of turf that would go about 80 yards down the fairway. <laughs> you know? so, so like, yeah, if could just connect with the ball. It would have probably ended up in Texas, you know? But I can just never quite do it, so it's frustrating as hell. I mean, it was just crazy. And of course, you start drinking beer, and of course, I thought, well, this is going to definitely help. This is going to improve my game, <laughs> and it didn't, it, man.
0: <laughs> so, but it was well, how fun. was well, how is Larry? Well, how is a uh, how is a retired FBI agent's golf game? Larry, he...
1: Larry's is a hell of a lot better than I am. He's, he's a good a athlete. Hell... too. Yeah, he, he's a hell of a lot better. Uh, okay. I, I, I won't. For I you know yeah you know he he's not going to be in the Masters anytime soon
0: but well uh, but look I mean Larry was a pole vaulter at Florida State he was a collegiate yeah. pole vaulter so oh, wow yeah yeah I mean that's a little known fact about Larry and I believe his daughters are actually we saw them at CooperCon they're 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 athletes too I think maybe maybe like well maybe c- volleyball players or something.
1: Believe, sure. believe it or not, I was an athlete, too, when I was younger. I mean, I was, you know, in all, all kinds of stuff, you know. And, and one of the things, I actually was multi-sport. I was a weightlifter. I played football through the shop when I threw the discus. And the discus in particular, I was talking to Larry about it. The discus is a finesse sport. You kind of spin. Yeah. And, you know, I was very good. I mean, I had probably one of the top ten throws in the country when I was in high school, And uh, but the thing is that you learn with the discus that it's it's you can be big and strong and everything else. But if you don't have the technique down perfectly, it's you're wasting a lot of energy and you're just not going to throw it very well. So with the golf swing, I understood that I'm thinking, okay, when I'm driving there, I know that, you know, part of it (laughs) is strength, but a lot of it is technique, you know, having some finesse with it. And I just couldn't seem to conquer the bear on that damn thing, you know? So even with all the strength I would put into it, like I said, I'd have that yard, you know, big chunk of turf go 80 yards down the <laughs> fairway. The damn ball itself, you know, would five feet, you know, that kind of thing. So, but, uh, so either way, uh, I guess uh, athleticism sticks with other people more than sure. other people. <laughs> so. Golf is-
0: Golf is a very humbling sport. I mean, yeah. seriously, it's it's very difficult. You know, it's it's not easy. Yeah. If, if it was easy, then everybody'd be a golf pro. But it's it's yeah. it's, it, it's an illusion. It gives the illusion of ease of ease, but it is extremely hard. You know. So, all right. So, yeah. So uh, Packer says, "I thought Eric won the Amboy Open." That's what he says. That's what uh, Limbaugh <when Paul> says. <laughs> That's funny. Well, anyway, well, we've gone on uh, a long time, folks. So uh, there's there there's the update about the DNA. Uh, it seems that. Uh, perhaps Eric's lawsuit has nudged them toward uh, at least retesting everything to have a better profile, at least in the event that they ever find a plausible suspect who's brought forward, perhaps, um, and to officially eliminate some of these guys who may have, you know, who probably are eliminated, but just to have it just to say so just to say it's eliminated. you know, So just have true confirmation, you know, using, you know, 2024 technology which is exponentially better than the 2021 or the, the, the 2001 technology that they only got three profiles off it with. So these are, these are quite different. So anyway, all right, folks, well, uh, feeder Zang, Good night. Uh, adios, amigos. Talk to y'all soon.
1: We don't know who he was, where he came from,
0: or where he went.